Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. All right, well, it looks like we are live. If you would go ahead and open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. Um, unfortunately, I'm having to re-record this sermon uh, because Sunday morning something went wrong with our Wi-Fi and our stream died. Uh, so I'm re-recording this for you all. Uh, we are starting a new series into the book of Hebrews. and uh, Well, Hebrews and Matthew are two of my favorite books of the Bible because they show uh, these two books show the connectivity and the continuation and the cohesiveness of the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's the continuation of the same story, and I love these two books for that. Uh, the authors set out for that purpose. You see, the book of Matthew was written to Jews to show just how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah and to convince them to become Christian. The book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians to show that their faith in Jesus is greater than the religious system established in the Old Testament. So the title of this series in the book of Hebrews is called Jesus is Greater. And when you're reading through these two books, uh, you'll notice a ton of Old Testament scripture references. Now, in this series, to help us more fully understand what the author is trying to say, we're going to uh, bring those Old Testament scriptures into light and illuminate them, or shine a light on them, so that they will hopefully illuminate this New Testament passage for us. Uh, This morning, we're going to be, well, Sunday morning, we were in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and uh, this is just the prologue to the entire book. But even in just this little prologue, what we see is that Jesus is a greater revelation. And so that's broken down into three parts here. We have an old revelation, there's a new revelation, and then the author talks a little bit about the Son. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we'll get talking about, or we'll dig into the scripture. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we open this text back up to, to look back at it again, Lord, I pray that you will show us who you are. Help us to understand you more and give us a greater love for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and get started right here into um, Hebrews chapter 1. Now my clicker is messing up. There we go. Hebrews chapter 1. So it says, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So right here in just this first verse, uh, what we get, uh, we get a hint as to who the author and the audience are. See, he talks about our ancestors. He talks about our ancestors. Uh, So the author and the audience have a common race and ethnicity. Um, However, the author doesn't tell us much else about himself. Uh, There are some... Uh, There is some debate as to who the actual author is. Um, Some people would say that it's Paul or Barnabas. Other people would say that it's Apollos or maybe even somebody else. Um, But in reality, we just don't know. We can guess about it, but we just don't know. Um, And if God really wanted us to know, well, then he would have had the author sign his name to it at the end of the letter like um, Paul did at the end of the Pauline epistles. So we can guess about who the author is, but in the end, It's the subject of the letter that's really important for us, not the author. Uh, So that's what we're going to focus on. But what about the audience, right? This verse also tells us who the audience is. Well, at least kind of gives us a hint to it. uh, The author says that God spoke to them um, by by the prophets. Now, I know a lot of religions have their prophets. 
But when we combine this reference of prophets and other references like Moses or chapter 11, which names several Old Testament heroes, it becomes obvious that the audience, well, the audience and therefore the author, are Jews. So since this book was written to Jews, all of those Old Testament scripture references would have been obvious and easily understood for them. But for us, it's a little bit more difficult. Um, it takes a little bit more effort. Uh, but when the, what the author is doing here is establishing a base to work from. He's saying, look, this is what God told us in the past. And that's the understanding that we're going to be building off of throughout the course of this letter. But those prophets that he's talking about, those prophets that he spoke to them in the, in the, the old days, it's, that's just the starting point. They're old news. The author's not saying that they're wrong, but that they have an incomplete understanding. And there is new revelation from God. That, we see that started in verse 2. He says, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. Now, if this letter were just to stop right here, then this statement in and of itself would be huge when taken in conjunction with everything that Jesus taught. Right, so the author is saying that here's God's son, and he's the next prophet in line. And then we go back and we look at what Jesus taught, and we see that that's some pretty big stuff right there. So the author is saying that Jesus' words are a continuation of what the previous prophets have spoken. Jesus' words and teachings are the most recent revelation from God, and therefore need to be incorporated into their Jewish understanding of God's revelation. In our last sermon, we finished the book of Malachi, and he was the last prophet to speak before the Old Testament closed, or the last prophet to speak before God would go silent for 400 years preceding Jesus' birth. That silent period was broken when Jesus was born. He is a continuation of God's revelation. In our Bible reading group that we're doing together, um, Sunday morning's devotional said that prophecies are like movie previews. They give you hints and peaks, and everyone tries to guess the details, but the only one who knows the whole story is the author. But this new revelation is not just the next in a long line of prophets. He's the ultimate prophet because he's not just a prophet, he is the author. He is God's son. See, this is the groundwork for the idea that will be fleshed out throughout this entire letter. The author says, we had these prophets and their message was good, but now we have God's son speaking for God and therefore his message is greater. Not that all the Old Testament prophets were wrong, but that Jesus' message is more complete and is clearer than those Old Testament prophets. His words are a better representation of God because he is God himself. But the author doesn't just leave us with that either. He goes further to explain who this son is and what he has done. So we're going to keep reading. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. Sustaining all things by his powerful word, after making purification for sins, he sat, down at the, uh, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See, there are several points here, and we're going to take them one by one. It says that God has appointed him heir of all things. See, in biblical times, typically the heir was the firstborn son. And uh, if you're joining our Bible, if you're in our Bible reading group, where we're going through the book of Revelation, in chapter 1, verse 4, we read that Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. This means that since Jesus was the first one resurrected, well, then all of eternity is his inheritance. But this series, we're not focusing on New Testament references. We're focusing on Old Testament connections. And for that one, we look to Psalm 2.8. And Psalm 2.8 says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. 
So Jesus' inheritance includes all of the nations and all of the earth. Jesus is the heir of all things. Because all things belong to God and he is God's son, thus all things belong to Jesus. This idea continues in the next clause of that sentence. It says, and made the universe through him. God made the universe through Jesus. See, not only does it belong to Jesus because he's the heir, he also constructed it and um, he, he made it all as seen in the next statement, as he constructed it all. Uh, so not only do the nations all, and all of the earth belong to Jesus, but the whole universe. Now, here the author is talking about creation. And any good Jew, when they start thinking about creation, they would immediately start thinking about Genesis. Now, for us, hopefully, any good Christian, when we start thinking about creation, we also go back to the book of Genesis. So let's take a look with me at Genesis 1, verse 1, and then we're going to skip to 26 and 27. So Genesis 1, verse 1, 26 and 27. Uh, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God, and he created them male and female. Now, in this Genesis passage, we see that God is the creator. Now, I know we skipped verses 2 to 25, which talk about the first five days of creation, but I wanted to look at verses 26 and 27, which show us two really important things about God. First is that God created man, and second, God refers to himself as us. So first, God created man. When we take this in context of the Hebrews passage, since God created man and all things that God created belong to him and and they belong to Jesus since he is the heir, then man belongs to God. Well, not just man, but all of mankind, humanity, man and woman belong to God. Then secondly, God refers to himself as us. That's important because it shows us that God is not singular. Well, at least not how we normally think of singular. See, I want to make sure I get that right. I don't want to step into heresy here. Um, God is one, and there is one God. But that one God has revealed himself to us in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each of those three persons are all equally God, and they are all completely God. Now, that's what we refer to as the Trinity or the triune God. Mathematically, it doesn't make sense, and we can only understand it through faith, and even then, only weakly. But since this is such a hard concept to grasp, the author gives us a couple of uh, gives us a picture to help us. Uh, we see that if we keep going in that Hebrews passage, starting in verse three, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature. Now, to uh, to get a grasp of this statement, we have to understand the concept of glory. Right? Uh, God's glory is His presence and splendor. In the Old Testament, God's presence was deadly. To enter God's presence, or to enter God's glory, was to be in his presence. And since God is holy, and we are sinful, God's holiness destroys sin, God's glory would destroy us. Even Moses could not enter into God's glory. Look at me with, uh, look with me at Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 and 35. It says, The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You see, the, the presence and splendor of God was perfectly, in, was perfectly expressed and radiated by Jesus. If somebody wanted to know what God was like, they only have to look at Jesus. He is the exact expression of God's nature because he is God. And then we have to look at this word, radiance. 
And it says the sun is the exact, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. Here's where we have to be careful, right? This is saying that God's glory emanates from Jesus. And I say we have to be careful because if this passage is misunderstood, it can, this concept can easily be skewed into heresy. Now, I think that the author chose this word radiance because of the biblical connection between glory and light. God's glory brings light. But we can skew the author's intent to mean that uh, God, like a star, emanates light, and that light is Jesus. See, some people use this analogy to try to explain the Trinity, right? So they would say that a star has three parts. There's the actual star itself, and then the light and other radiation that emanates from the star, and then the heat that's created by that radiation. In this analogy, God the Father is the star, and then Jesus is the light, and the Holy Spirit is the heat. But this means that the light and heat are creations of the star itself. They're not actually parts of the star. This heresy is called Arianism, um, named after the priest Arius, who popularized it, popularized it in the 4th century. Now, Arius proposed that Jesus, um, the Son of God, was created by the Father. This has very dangerous implications. Because if Jesus was created by God, then there was a time when God the Father existed and Jesus and the Holy Spirit did not. There was a time when Jesus did not exist, and therefore Jesus is not equal to God um, and is denies his full deity. Like I said, that's heresy, and that is wrong, because Jesus is God. Jesus is fully God, and he is as much God as God the Father, as much God as God the Holy Spirit. All three of them are God together. For another explanation of that, and one of my favorite YouTube videos, uh, search YouTube for St. Patrick's Bad Analogies, and that's a hilarious video. But getting back to this passage, the author is not implying that the Son is less than the Father. Instead, he's highlighting that the Son is equal to the Father. And if we use this text to suggest anything else, then we are misconstruing the text and stepping into heresy. To suggest that Jesus is anything less than equal to the Father is unchristian. Now, the title of this series is Jesus is Greater. And I guess we could say that the real Jesus is greater than any heretical concoction that we can muster against him. And since, e since Jesus is equal to the Father, it says the exact expression of his nature, then revelation that comes through him is the perfect revelation from God. See, it's kind of like this, right? It's, it's like listening to somebody talk about somebody else. Or you could go read about this somebody else or, or watch movies about this somebody else or, or do as much research as you can on this somebody else. But you're never going to have that full understanding of him until you go and you talk to that person. You spend time with them and build a relationship with them. That's the best way to get to know them. And Jesus, meeting Jesus and getting to know Jesus is like going and talking to and meeting this person. Instead of hearing about him from other people, that which would be like the, the Old Testament prophets, they're talking about God, whereas Jesus is God talking. But we're not done with this verse just yet. It says that he's sustaining the Son is sustaining all things by His powerful Word. See, the Son is not only heir, creator, and the perfect expression of God's glory. He is also the sustainer of all things. He sustains all things. Now take a moment to think about that, all things. Right, he sustains everything from the belt that holds up my pants to the asteroid belt that separates the inner planets from the outer planets in our solar system. He sustains the chemical reactions that power our Son all the way down to the chemical reactions that are digesting your breakfast right now. He's the sustainer of all things, merely by the word 
of his voice, merely by the word that he speaks. This is the sustainer of all things by his powerful word. Now, take a look back with me again at Genesis chapter 1. We're going to hit some of those verses that we skipped earlier. uh, Verse 3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse 6, then God said, let there be an expanse of the waters, or an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. Verse 9, then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. Then verse 11, then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and fruit trees on on the earth according to the fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds, and it was so. Verse 14, then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. Verse 20, then God said, let the water swarm with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. Verse 24, then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. See, it was God's word that created all things. And it is God's word that sustains all things. It is the word of Jesus that has created all things and sustains all things. Now, this son, not only did he create all things, and not only does he sustain all things, and he's the heir of all things, but there was something else that he did that was extremely important. And we see that in the last bit of this, in the last sentence here. Uh, It says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, Jesus sat down. He sat down. That means that whatever job he was doing at that time was done. He completed that task. He sat down. He came to make purification for sins. But when he went to heaven, when he ascended into heaven, that job was completed. There was nothing left to be done. And there's nothing more that we can do to fulfill, to be purified from our sins. And if you think about it, the entire Old Testament story is the story of how humanity needs purification from sins. See, we were created sinless. We were created in the image of God. And God gave us free will. But we use that free will to choose sin and to choose to go against God's will. And because of that sin, humans had to be separated from God's glory because God's glory destroys sin. Then God gives us the law. And that law shows us just how hopeless we are to earn our own righteousness. Then the rest of the Old Testament is the evidence that we cannot live up to the law. Jesus followed this law his whole life and taught the Israelites the true heart of God's law. Then he was sacrificed as the perfect atonement, uh, the perfect sacrifice called for in that law. And he was resurrected in victory over sin and death, becoming the firstborn of the dead that we read about in Revelation chapter 1. After that, there was no other work that needed to be done for the purification for sins. And through our faith in Jesus, we are allowed back into the garden. We are allowed back into the presence of God's glory. Because those of us who have placed our faith in him have nothing else to do. There's nothing left for us to do to make purification for our sins. He has completed it. It is finished. And the law has been fulfilled. That's why, that's what the author means when he says Jesus sat down. There was nothing more to be done for the purification of sins. But the location that this son sits is important as well. It says that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Being seated at the right hand means that he is equal to, 
Now, if he had sat at the left hand, that would mean that he was less than. But since he sits at the right hand, he is equal to. He is equal to the majesty on high. The only one who could be equal to God is God. So this again points to the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, is God himself. He and the Father are one, along with the Holy Spirit. All right, so now let's kind of shift gears a little bit, and we'll get into our application for this passage. Now our application here at Victory always comes from our definition of a disciple. And our definition of a disciple we get from Matthew 4, 19, where Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Right, and from that we get our three indicators of a disciple. That's knowing, being, and doing. All right, so our first application is to know, all right, and that is to know that Jesus is God. Know that Jesus is God. There is no separation between God the Father and God the Son. They are one. Also, the Holy Spirit is one with God. He is God. Now, I have not spent much time in this sermon talking about the Holy Spirit, um, but the Spirit is just as much God as the Father and the Son. And to be honest, I haven't spent much time as my, in, in my pastorate here talking about the Spirit and probably won't throughout this series because this book focuses on Jesus. Now, maybe the next series will focus on the Spirit. But the point here is that Jesus is God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one God revealed together in three persons. Because of Jesus' deity, he is greater. Greater than any religion or greater than any past revelation from God or greater than any false image that we can come up, of, come up with of Jesus or greater than any other sacrifice that we can give to God. Jesus' purification for sins is greater than anything that we can do. And that leads us to our second application point, and that is to be purified by Jesus. See, the work of purifying us from the stain of sin was completed on the cross. To be washed, we only need to place our faith in him. Not just to know what has been done, but to rest in that knowledge. Placing our faith in Jesus means that we will stop trying to earn our salvation. Jesus sat down at the right hand of God because that work was completed. That work was done. There's nothing left for him to do. And if there's nothing left for him to do, then there's definitely nothing more that we can add to it. If you're still trying to earn your salvation, then your faith is not in Jesus' work, but in your own. And finally, our due application is to make Jesus the center of your life. Since Jesus is God, who came to this earth to perfectly reveal, reveal who God is and to completely purify us from our sins, the only rightful response is to devote your life to him. He is Lord. We make him Lord of our life, meaning that we surrender control of our lives over to him. If he were an earthly Lord, that would be a scary thought because earthly rulers are um, they're subject to the same sinful temptations that we are. They're subject, subject to fall to the same sins that we do. Earthly rulers are fallen, and because they are fallen, they are sinful just as any other human. But Jesus is sinless, and he is perfectly wise and the model of sacrificial love. To, make, uh, to surrender control of our lives as Jesus, as, uh, to, consent, to surrender our lives to Jesus as Lord is the only correct response. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, again, I thank you for this word, for this text that you've given us. And as we continue through this book, I pray that you will help us to, to humble ourselves, to see that Jesus is greater, greater than anything else that we can do. He's greater than any other um, heretical understanding that we have or any other understanding that we have. But the biblical Jesus is greater. 
And that the work that he has done on the cross is greater than anything else that we can do. Help us to make you Lord of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit VictoryBaptistHopeMills.com or Facebook.com slash VBCHopeMills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.